Morning, everyone. Morning. Good to see you all. Welcome to uh, our morning service. If you'd like to uh, turn with me to Mark's chap, Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter fifteen. Mark's Gospel and chapter fifteen. So I'm going to read from verse 21 down to verse 39. So verse 21 but down to verse 39, Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They gave him wine, mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others. He himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this 
was the Son of God. Well, may the Lord bless his word to us this morning. May I just pray for us as we come round God's wonderful word. <coughs> Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, we praise you this morning. We thank you on this Lord's Day that you brought us to this place so that we may offer you worthy worship because your name is worthy, that we can hear your most holy word. And Lord, we ask now that uh, and seek it for you to uh, uh, bless us in our understanding. And Lord, that we may uh, find our devotion and love for you increased. Amen. Amen. As Mark has already sort of commented very helpfully this morning, the passing of the Queen has been very much on everybody's minds these last uh, few days. And for some of us, it seems rather a bizarre uh, time. Elizabeth sought to be a servant of the King of Kings. And uh, we are, are hearing many people um, speak about that. And now we have her son as our new monarch. You gathered uh, last week for worship and uh, the queen was reigning. Now we have a king. Well, we're going to be thinking about kings this morning, particularly the king of kings in our passage here. As we return to Mark's gospel, and this is our third visit to chapter 15 as part of our series going through Mark's Gospel where we're thinking about great things about the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is us and our third uh, visit now to chapter 15 and we've been going for those who are new to us, uh, new um, visiting, we've been going through Mark's Gospel I think uh, uh, since 2020. So we're now into chapter 15, and this is our third visit. And our, the first uh, message uh, I titled, The King Who Is Accused. We thought about Jesus and being in front of Pilate and, and, the, and the experience that he, he went through and the things that were said and the significance of that. And then last time um, uh, I was uh, addressing you, we thought about the king who is mocked, Jesus' experience with the Roman soldiers once he's led away, ready for crucifixion, and how they treated him and what he went through. We thought a bit about that. Well, my title for you this morning is The King Who Is, Acu who, uh, who is Forsaken. The King Who Is Forsaken. And that's really going to be what, what we're going to be thinking about this morning and what that means. So my key verse from Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 15, is verse 34. And uh, this is what it says. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's really what we're going to be considering uh, this morning. And really this could be described 
as the most dreadful text in the New Testament. If we really think about it, it's the most awful text that can be found. And it's a quote from Psalm 22. It's the verse first of Psalm 22. But here we have Jesus quoting it from the cross. And uh, for many people, it's a very dreadful thing to think about those words. There's the Lord Jesus uttering those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if we think about that, if we think what that must have meant, well, it's very difficult for us. Some of uh, this nation's previous monarchs, we now have a new king, but uh, uh, in the dim and distant past, we've had monarchs who have come to a very uh, quick and humiliating end. Richard II, back, back in the Middle Ages, it is believed, was starved to death, left to die a slow death in an awful dungeon. Henry VI, during the Wars of the Roses, it's believed that he was suffocated, possibly uh, at the bequest of uh, the opposition in those days. So in their final hours, perhaps they, these men felt forsaken, and they're perhaps not the only monarchs to have suffered that. But what the Lord Jesus Christ is going through in the crucifixion is beyond comprehension. We can't quite get our minds around it. It's difficult for us to think about the experience of the suffering that Jesus is going through. And that's bringing him to this point when he utters these words from Psalm 22. And of course, uh, this leaves, leads a lot of people to ask these questions. Was the Lord Jesus Christ uh, a failure? Was his mission a failure? Was him, him quoting these, this verse a sign that he had failed? Uh, that, that God the Father had, had just uh, given up uh, and everything had gone pear-shaped, as we say, uh, and it was all a failure. That's how, how many people think it, don't they? And there are many uh, uh, from the Muslim faith who would say that. Well, you know, this is proof, you know, your Bible's been changed or uh, this is what you've got Jesus saying in your Bible. Well, it's a failure. That, that, that can't be right. Or Jewish critics of the Christian faith, and there are many um, rabbis, very clever, learned men, who uh, oppose the Christian message. And quite often they will bring up verses like this and say, well, this is proof, your, your Jesus it can't be the Jewish Messiah. He can't be um, who, who you claim he is. He wouldn't have said those words. And then there's uh, modern-day atheists, such as Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. And there are a few others that join them. And they, and they view the crucifixion uh, and the whole, the whole gospel message as a barbaric thing, as belonging to a bygone savage age. Well, we, we're clever, wise people now. We don't need this. So, yes, Jesus is uttering that because, yes, he failed. Well, I want to put it to you this morning, folks. I want to put it to you 
that Jesus, when he was saying those words, it wasn't because it was a failure, but it was a fulfillment. It wasn't a failure. It was a fulfillment. It wasn't something that uh, uh, meant everything had failed, but that something wonderful, unique and amazing has been accomplished. Jesus Christ accomplished something when he hung on that cross. And this is what I want to bring before you today. And especially in view of the fact that many of us will be coming round the table and take partaking of the elements, the bread and the wine. And may this be a blessing to us and help us as we come to take the bread and the wine this morning. So a fulfilment, not a failure. And verse 30, 34 is both a very dreadful verse to, to take on board, to think about, but it's also a very wonderful verse. It's in fact one of the most wonderful verses in the New Testament. And we're going to see why. And I want to firstly, therefore, consider, and you need to bear with me here, I've got ten signs, ten visible signs from the crucifixion scene, from chapter 15. Ten visible signs and events that take place that are like linkages in the chain. You know, ladies, you might have some jewellery, you might have uh, something with linkages on the chain that you're, you're wearing, uh, and it all fits together. It's it all part of something that, that's a whole. Well, it's, I think these events are not random incidents, but they're all part of a bigger picture, and they're all part of a bigger picture that point to the redemption that Christ gains for his people, for you and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ. So ten visible signs... So the first one is that we see Jesus being nailed to the cross. And I want us to just very briefly think about what took place when Jesus was hung on the cross. Because we're very glib often, aren't we, when we think about Jesus. Oh, Jesus went to the cross. Oh, Jesus died for our sins. And uh, it just rolls off the tongue so easily, doesn't it, without us really thinking about it. But... This is an appropriate time, isn't it, friends? When we are going to be coming before the, the table, the bread and the wine, to think about what Jesus did when he was crucified. When those soldiers did what they did, and remember that we were thinking this in our last time, when we were, those of us will remember, we were thinking about just what Jesus experienced at the hands of those Romans who would be as cruel as they could be when they took those nails and when they hung him on, on that uh, cross. Now apparently they, 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 the crucifixion used to be on a literal tree. But in order, the Romans liked their, their, those that they were executing to, be, to, to experience pain at its fullest. And that's why they, they, they devised this most, in a sense, evil uh, form of execution. And they put those nails in his hands and through his legs 
who bred theirs as skin and flesh and bone. And that was a fulfillment of prophecy. So you might want to look at, you might want to uh, open your Bibles at Psalm 22. Uh, maybe I should have suggested that earlier. So we're going back, back to Psalm 22, verses 16. It says this, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet. So that really describes it, it really perfectly, doesn't it? There is David, the, the King David, penning that hymn, that uh, psalm, and looking for the, the Messiah to come. And they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penning these words. And there's Jesus fulfilling that, as those men, ignorant really of what they're, they're really doing, by crucifying him. So that's the first sign that I want to bring to you. The second sign is where we see the soldiers casting lots. And that's verse 18 from Psalm 22. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Again, a fulfillment of prophecy. Number three, the, uh, the sign there on the cross, and the sign would give the charge. What the, 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 the person who was being uh, executed, what they had done, what they were guilty of. And remember back to uh, the, the passage where there in uh, uh, verse 26, it says what? It says the king of the Jews. It doesn't say he said he was the king of the Jews. That's what the, 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 the Pharisees and the, the, the high priests and, uh, and the religious leaders wanted. They wanted that to be on, on, that, that, uh, on that board, that sign. But Pilate refused to change it. Now you can go to, I think it's John chapter 19. Uh, that really sort of, uh, sort of elaborates on that for us. Now Pilate could have relented. He could have changed his mind, he could have given in, and they could have put something like, Jesus of Nazareth, the blasphemer, or something like that, but it didn't. And you see, that sign was a saint making a true statement. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So that was a sign. It was a sign for all to see. It wasn't a statement of some crime, but it was a statement of fact. Jesus was and is the King of the Jews. Fourth sign, Jesus was crucified between two criminals, verses 27 and 28. Now, verse 28 isn't in certain modern versions. Uh, it is mentioned in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus is anticipating its soon fulfillment. But this refers to Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressions, the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So there's again a fulfillment 
of Scripture, a fulfilment of the Old Testament. Number five, the Lord is mocked and reviled while he's on the cross. Well, we, we thought about this uh, in the previous message. And again, there's the religious leaders and the, and the rulers mocking him and reviling him. So even there, Jesus is now on the cross and, and going through all the pain and agony of that. And there he's being reviled. And again, Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. So again, a sign that something has been accomplished. Something is being fulfilled. Number six. And this is a very important sign. Number six at verse 33. A sign of divine judgment. There's darkness all over the land. And we can think of uh, perhaps the Old Testament. There are many passages we haven't got time to, to perhaps consider them. But Amos chapter 8 verse 9 uh, puts it like this. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. So again, here is a sign, a very visible sign, a sign for everyone to see, for the Romans there witnessing Jesus on the cross, for the religious leaders, for ordinary passers-by. For the citizens just milling about there, doing their own business back in the city of Jerusalem. The, the sky goes dark for s several hours. That is a sign. A sign of divine judgment. It, and the darkness means complete abandonment. Sign 7. And that's our text for today. Jesus cries out, quoting verse 1 of Psalm 22. Sign 8, he's offered vinegar at verse 35. Now we see this uh, happening with the Roman. The Roman soldiers offer him uh, uh, wine mixed with myrrh, verse 23. He doesn't take it. Here he's offered vinegar at verse 35. And this is the fulfilment of Psalm 69. Verse 21, and uh, I'm reading from verse 20 from that, that psalm. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I look for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. So again, a fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy, a fulfillment of the first king, that uh, David looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ when he penned those words. Number nine, and this is another very important visible sign that takes place at verse 38. The veil in the temple... The veil into the Holy of Holies is, is split in two. 
So we have the darkness. We have Jesus crying out. Why have you forsaken me? And then the veil in the temple is just born, broke, split it to Exodus chapter 26 and verses 31 to 33 is a good place to go to see the specifications for this, this veil. And when, you, when we read that, what really comes across is just how absolute the holiness and the purity of God is. Our God is a holy God. He's a, a, a pure and righteous God. And we, we might wonder why we've got the, these, the Exodus and the book of Leviticus, which details all these things. Uh, why, why, all the, why was it all so specific? The, the tabernacle and then the temple. With all the details of all the furnishings and everything that took place, it's because it speaks about the purity and the holiness of God and that this holy and pure God was calling a people to be his people and that he was going to have communion with them and fellowship with them. And as sinners, they couldn't come into his presence. There was a way into that presence. The way, there was a way to be right with God. But now what's happened, as Jesus is on the cross, and we, we see this, this sign of this, this, this veil, this curtain being torn in two. It's a sign that God is doing something new. It's a sign that there is a new way into the presence of God for sinners like you and I. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. There on the cross. Sign 10. And we see this at verse 39 with the centurion, that the Gentiles will believe in the Son of God. Now, we don't know for sure who this centurion is. We're not given a name or anything. And there is perhaps tradition that this centurion became a believer and was part of the, that, that early fellowship of, of Christians. But what do we see him say? Verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, there's Jesus crying out, crying out as he, as he, as he uh, dies on the cross. And the centurion is seeing that, having seen some of these other signs, the darkness and so forth. And he's struck by the events before him. Something, something has struck him and caused him to, to think in a new way. And this is where he's, he, and he, and he says, Truly, this man was the Son of God. So ten, ten signs. And there might be others that, you know, in your own time, in your own study, you might be able to say, well, there are other signs as well. But these signs are there that, that show us that these aren't just odd uh, incidents that uh, are random and it's just part of a very sad story of a, of, of a failed Messiah. But no, they're all part and part of a picture that tells us that something was being accomplished on that moment, on that day when Jesus hung on the cross. We note that it's the fulfilment of Scripture. 
we note that God had purposed this to happen and it happened so we've looked at the signs now we're going to look at the reason why the real way the why Jesus was forsaken and I want you to turn if you if you can to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 16 to 21 and it's really verse 21 that I want to highlight for us this morning. Verse 21. So this is, this is the, the passage that Mark read for us earlier. And it's, it's a wonderful passage, a wonderful section that Paul, Paul is, is speaking to the Corinthians here as, and speaking about reconciliation. What a wonderful topic. But that is really what is t- taking place. This is how we can have that reconciliation that the Apostle Paul is speaking to, speaking about. And this is verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a wonderful verse. And that's something I want you to consider this morning as we think about Jesus and in quoting those verses why God my God my God why have you forsaken me and here is the answer and Paul is giving it there in verse 21 or going back here to verse 19 that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, so that he, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a wonderful verse. And we see three things. God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus is without sin. But he became sin for us. Jesus was totally innocent. And in fact, Pilate didn't really know much. And he was a very weak weak man, and uh, uh, not with many principles. Um, but one thing he realised was that Jesus was, an, it was innocent. He was innocent. And Jesus was without sin. Jesus didn't deserve the abuse and the suffering and the violence done to him and to go through that experience where we see those ten signs and be brought to the part where he's abandoned by the God the Father himself. This is God the Eternal Son who in eternity passed had that perfect relationship with the Father where there was, there was love, love, love and eternity, love that, that was always there, but now he has voluntarily come into our world to be like you and I, so that we could, could be brought into <coughs> fellowship with God. And that's a wonderful thing. Matthew Henry Uh, who I've, I've probably often quoted before says this as Christ who knew no sin of his own 
was made sin for us. So that we who have no righteousness of our own are made the righteousness of God in him. Our reconciliation to God is only through Jesus Christ and for the sake of his merit. On him, therefore, we must rely and make mention of his righteousness and his only. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, who he was when he went to the cross. That's all important. Because my friends, if we're, we, if we're honest, as we think and meditate on these things, when we look at our own sinful hearts, we know that we deserved to be abandoned on a cross, that we deserve, because of our sin and rebellion, we deserve that darkness and to be uh, forsaken and abandoned. But Christ did that for us. He did that for you and I. And here's just some wonderful uh, passages to, that, to, to share with you. Acts 3, uh, 4, 14 to 18 tells us that he was the holy and righteous one and that he would suffer. This is um, uh, Peter and the disciples there in the temple after they they, they healed uh, the lame man. And uh, I'm just going to read you. It's a wonderful passage. Picking up at 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That was Barabbas. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did, as did also your rulers. Verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And that's a wonderful verse, isn't it? So you see, Jesus wasn't a failure. It was fulfillment. It wasn't something that, that, that ended there and then. It was something that was so wonderful because we are now, why we're here this morning, why we can come uh, together and we can sing praises to God, why we can come around these elements is because of that, of that clause in that, that verse 18. He thus fulfilled. God fulfilled redemption, forgiveness of sins, righteousness for sinners like you and I. On that cross, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered for us. He went to the cro cross, fulfilling that promise and plan from eternity past for us. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. He speaks of him as the great high priest without sin. Hebrews 7, 26. Holy, undefiled, separate from sinners. 1 Peter 21 to 25. He's the one who committed no sin. Peter there quotes Isaiah 53 verse 9. He bore our sins on the cross. 1 John 3 5. There was no sin in him. 1 John 3 8. He came to destroy the works of the devil. 
Romans 3.25. He is our propitiation by his blood. Romans 8.3. Came in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus was innocent. Jesus was altogether holy, pure and just. He never sinned. He did not deserve to go what he went through. But he did it. He did it willingly for you and I. He did it on our behalf. So we come to, to, to the close. We've thought about um, this question. Was it a failure? Or was it a fulfillment? We looked at this, the signs there in that scene with Jesus on the cross. All pointing out that there was something purposeful. God was doing something. That all the, these, these uh, um, psalms that David wrote, and there's many, many uh, and other passages like Isaiah 53 and so forth, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking about what he's going to do. And they've been fulfilled for us. So what then is our response? What's your response this morning to the King of Kings? Now we've got Charles, who's Charles III, and no doubt people will be thinking, well, what, what is, what's his reign going to be like? What's he going to be like as a king? And I think for most of us, and I think perhaps all of us, we don't remember a time when Elizabeth wasn't on the throne. We don't know what it's like to be under a king. So it's going to be a new era for us. What's it going to be like? What's he going to do? Well, Charles is just a man, isn't he? And he, he he's, you know, he's, he's um, a constitutional monarch who hasn't really got much power. But what I want to put to you is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the King of Kings, isn't he? And he is coming again. He's the one that defeated the re reality of hell and darkness and being forsaken forever. And he's the one that, that could quote that verse. And, that ver and quoting that verse, not because it was a, 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 a failure and, uh, and it was the end of everything. And, and, and the disciples, you know, after the, he, he had he'd been buried... That's what they thought, you know, the road to Emmaus in Luke, uh, Luke 24. I mean, it's a, a wonderful passage, but you've got the two walking down the Emmaus road thinking, oh, well, we had so much hope, see, that we had this, this Jesus, and we thought he was the Messiah, and he was going to make things, he was going to restore the kingdom, and oh, and Jesus joins them, and they don't recognize him. And what does he say to them? You know, how foolish of you not to realize that, you know, it was meant that the Son of God was, was to suffer and die and rise again. Jesus has uh, 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 achieved this for us. What then is our response? What is your response this morning? What are your thoughts this morning? And I want to give a warning and an exhortation, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're here this morning, and if these things haven't really meant much, or it's just been a formula there in the back of your mind, yes, Jesus went to the cross, Jesus died for my, 
my sins, yeah, whatever. My friends, I must warn you mm -hmm. that if you go on with that kind of thinking, it's going to come a time when verse, 20, verse 1 of Psalm 22 will be real for you, that you will be abandoned. You will be abandoned for all eternity. And there will be darkness. There will be, um, you will be forsaken. That's a warning. But it's an encouragement for you to come to Christ. Because the Bible, as the Bible says, He will in no wise turn any away who come to Him. Come to Him. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Come to the one who went through that so that you could have a new heart, that you could be reconciled with your Creator. Charles III um, may have many accomplishments, but that's one thing he's never going to do. <laughs> There's one thing he's never going to do. He's not going to make you right with God. And we ought to pray for Charles. But, but we need to look to the King of Kings, don't we? So may we ponder afresh the sacrifice of the Saviour, our great prophet, priest and king. May we submit to his rule and offer ourselves to his service. May the Lord bless his word to us this morning.